Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. <clears throat> we have a great guest for today's show, including Mark Schulman, who is in Tel Aviv, as usual. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed. He is a professor, excuse me, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll visit about the wisdom of Calvin Coolidge and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. It is July the 5th. It's the day that we're celebrating. It's the official day off for federal employees celebrating uh, Independence Day. And on this day in 2003, the World Health Organization announced that all person-to-person transmission of severe acute respiratory uh, syndrome, or SARS, had ceased. In the previous eight months, the disease had killed about 775 people in 29 countries and exposed the dangers of globalization in the context of public health. In spite of whose announcement... A new case was diagnosed in China in January 2004, and four more diagnoses were followed that in April. So uh, the first cases of SARS that were believed to be pneumonia likely appeared in China's Guangdong province in November 2002. On February 15, 2003, China reported 305 cases of atypical pneumonia, which was later to be found out to be SARS. China was criticized and later apologized for failing to alert the World Health Authorities of the initial outbreak and taking proper precautions to uh, contain it. SARS soon spread to neighboring areas like Hong Kong and Vietnam and then around the world via air travel. In March, an elderly Canadian woman died from SARS after returning to Toronto from a visit to Hong Kong. The illness went on to kill 44 people in Toronto area. In China, where the first cases uh, occurred, 350 people died from the disease. In all, more than 8,000 people are thought to have been infected. Well, certainly uh, what happened here in the United States and around the globe when it it comes to COVID-19, far more severe consequences from that. But nevertheless, SARS was a big deal at the time and a precursor to uh, what we're seeing. Again, China didn't apologize. It still is not going to take responsibility, it looks like, for uh, COVID-19. But uh, last case on this day in 2004. Well, the slightly stronger tropical storm Elsa continues to move through the Caribbean. Uh, It's expected to move across central and western Cuba and head towards the uh, Florida Straits today. Elsa is about maximum sustained winds of about 65 miles an hour, according to the advisory issued at 11 p.m. It's about the same right now. I just checked it before coming on air. Elsa is forecast to move near or uh, portions of West Florida on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, the, right now, it looks like the, uh, the cone of uncertainty is taking it away from uh, Naples and the Paradise Coast, but you never know about these things. They could change course uh, suddenly. Uh, tropical storm force winds extend outward to 80 miles from the center. So even if it uh, misses us, we're probably going to have a lot of rain. <clears throat> tropical storm conditions are possible in the watch area along the west coast of Florida beginning tonight. Well, President Trump uh, was, gave a great speech on, uh, in Sarasota on Saturday night. It was a blockbuster. A message of patriotism on the eve of July the 4th. Former President Donald Trump vowed it will not be canceled and American founders and patriots will never be purged from history or canceled from our hearts. Tomorrow we celebrate 245 years of glorious American independence, he said. It will not be canceled, by the way, Trump said in his Save America rally Saturday night in Sarasota, which aired live on Newsmax. By the way, if... uh, Usually Fox News and some of these other carriers don't uh, carry the president's messages, but Newsmax does. Always check them out. And we'll teach young people across the country that George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, John Hancock will forever be American heroes, he said. Uh, 
He denounced cancel culture and American anti-American sentiment coming from activist groups seeking to destroy American historical symbols and statues. People want to take their names off buildings, Trump said. Can you believe it? They took names off buildings like George Washington, and I told you this is where they're coming from. We're not going to let that happen. They will never be purged from our history or canceled from our hearts, he said. If Biden and the radical Democrats get their way, you can kiss your suburbs, tour 4th of July, your barbecue, and you can kiss the American dream goodbye, Trump said later. He added that a vow to continue the tradition of July 4th as the Biden administration blocked a fireworks display at Mount Rushmore with no explanation, according to Christy Nome, the governor. The mission for all of us here tonight is to preserve the legacy of July the 4th, 1776, and to defend our liberty from radical left movement that seeks to cancel this date, demolish our heritage, and destroy our beloved nation. In just five months, the Biden administration has launched an all-out assault on everything we cherish and we value under Joe Biden and the left. Trump began his rally with a call for out for patriotism and free and fair elections. And then, of course, he went through his litany of things that uh, Biden has done to make the country weaker. And certainly that's happened. He rebuked Biden's immigration policies and uh, destroying the southern border. Tonight, I want to speak to every border agent, ICE officer, and law enforcement professional who Joe Biden has coolly betrayed, Trump said. He betrayed. They lied during the campaign. I told you they were lying, but a lot of people didn't believe me. They lied like hell, said Trump. He also hailed uh, American law enforcement amid activist attempts to defend the police. (laughs) Meanwhile, uh, the Democrats are trying to say it's the Republicans that are defunding the police. Unbelievable leading a crime wave across America's Democrat-led cities. It was a great speech. It was a uh, barn burner. He was just absolutely terrific. And a big fireworks display uh, afterwards. Big fireworks displays in major cities across America. I just talked to my wife, and she said she had trouble sleeping last night because the fireworks were going on way past midnight. So uh, lots of people celebrating the 4th of July. Congratulations, President Trump, for uh, a great speech. Well, officials demolished the rest of the Chaplin Tower South Sunday night, last night, in an effort to clear the way for search and rescue work for 120 missing people. With a rolling series of sharp pops, a low rumble, and a massive plume of white dust, the remaining portion crashed down Sunday night at 10.30 p.m. local time. The demolition is intended to give search and rescue crews additional room to look for people who are still missing since a part of the adjourning building collapsed June 24th. Uh, Officials said that they were eager to bring down the building ahead of the tropical storm Elsa's potential arrival in the next few days. So often demolitions of buildings are a spectacle. It's almost like a show, and this particular demolition is certainly the furthest thing from that, said Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz at a press conference Sunday evening. This demolition is a very tragic situation, not only for those who are still hoping to find loved ones who have survived, but also to the survivor families who got out of the building and all who want, uh, whose belongings are in that apartment building, including pets. Sad stories about pets there that are missing as well. The jagged and listed ta- listing tower was in such precarious condition that residents weren't allowed to return to their apartments to retrieve any of their valuables in the days that, uh, since they fled. Authorities decided to bring down the building in a controlled demolition because they feared the building may not be able to withstand the wind and rains of an approaching tropical storm. Search and rescue uh, crews were expected to be back on the scene a few hours after the dust settled. Uh, if you have a mask put it on a police officer shouted to the people who are gathering to watch moments before dynamite took the building down sending a cloud of dust higher than the building once stood must have been an amazing sight such a sad thing though can you imagine that one woman was uh, saying that she is begging the court to allow her to go back in to find her dog and apparently they had equipment that were able to, heat-seeking equipment, able to determine if something was alive in the building, and uh, they found nothing. Sad story indeed. Ms. Levine Kava said destroying the building was a difficult decision that she made by balancing the desire to keep searching for victims and investigate the collapse with the need to protect rescue workers in the area residents from harm if the building were to fall. <clears throat> I believe she is the mayor of uh, <clears throat> Surfside, if I'm not mistaken. Well, uh, Chowdown champ Joey Jaws 
Chestnut, back to the theme of the 4th of July, broke his own record to gulp it, uh, to 14th win of the men's Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest on Sunday. Mike, Michelle Lesko took the uh, women's title. Uh, get this, Chestnut down 76 francs and buns in 10 minutes. That's one more than he did in setting the men's record last year when the contest unfolded without fans because of the coronavirus can, uh, pandemic. It just felt good, Chessville of uh, Westfield, Indiana said in an ESPN interview after the win Sunday. Even if I were uncomfortable, having everybody cheer me and push me, it made me feel good, said Chestnut. <laughs> Let's go of t- Tucson, down 30 and three-quarter dogs in 10 minutes and called her win an amazing feeling. Uh it's become a real tradition on the 4th of July, uh, the hot dog eating contest in Coney Island. Last year it was held indoors and without any people watching because of the pandemic. And uh, well, I'm not going to have time to cover this, but up to a million companies are hit in biggest global ransomware attack on record. This happened over this past weekend. I wonder if they were on the list of 16 sectors that the president asked Putin not to attack. Just asking. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of historycentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Choice Social. It's a new refreshing social networking platform. Terrific. You can check it out by visiting choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Well, uh, 4th of July has just passed. It's now the federal holiday that I guess is being celebrated today. And... uh, Independence Day has a terrific and very important meaning for all of us. Uh, what, what are your car- comments and thoughts? Absolutely. Look, you know, we we look back and 
it almost seems a natural sort of event, right? I mean, of course we got our independence. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, a lot of the world has revolutions and independence and all of South America and all these countries that were once colonies all became independent. But it wasn't a natural thing back then. The United States was the first first colony in the world, really, to revolt and seek its own independence. It blazed a new path as it did so, and it blazed a path that was based on, uh, more than anything else, the rights of the people to determine their own their own future. Yeah. And um, that was new in the world, you know. I mean, the French Revolution that came afterwards came as a result of seeing what the Americans did, and of course all the South American revolutions and the freedom from Spain were all copies in some form or another of, of the U.S. Uh, Revolutionary War. Um, you know, the Americans, if the, if the British had acted differently, we would, we'd all be speaking with a British a- accent. Mm-hmm. All the Americans really wanted when everything, when it began, was the right to vote, basically, or the right to, um, you know, no taxation without representation. They wanted representation yeah. in the British Parliament, and the British just misread the whole situation. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing I, I, I'll comment I'll make is that uh, the French Revolution, for example, was a, a, a violent, uh, 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 I'm going to say, emotion-driven experience, whereas the United States of America became the Declaration of Independence leading up to the Constitution was a thoughtful process. That's true. Um, but, you know, the French Revolution <laughs> didn't start off as violent as it became, obviously. You know, it's a, it was a revolution that went off the rails mm-hmm. um, more than anything else. And, you know, in our case, we were fighting a, a, a foreign power thousands of miles away, and it's easier to be a little bit less enraged, shall we say. Mm-hmm. We weren't, it wasn't an economic revolution. You know, those people who rewrite American history uh, to talk about that the Revolutionary War was an economic war, mm-hmm. or the, even the Civil War was an economic war. These are not, were not economic wars. People did not go to war for economic reasons. No, it was for freedom. war for basic rights, in, mm-hmm. in both cases, actually, and basic ideas. Right. And, um, I mean, there have been economic wars in history, but mostly people who are in democratic societies or proto-democratic societies, what the, what the colonies were prior to the Revolutionary War, do not, do not go to war over, over economics, by and large. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, taxation without representation was a big part of it, of course. And, uh, right, but taxation was the representation representation part was the issue more than anything else. Yeah, right. It yeah. wasn't the fact that the Americans did not object to the idea that they should pay for some part of their up, their own upkeep. Right. They, they objected to the fact that they had no role in determining what part and what that policy would be. Well, they had objection to housing soldiers, and they had the, the, no, a lot of their... Uh, personal uh, property rights were taken away, or at least infringed on. So uh, there was, I think it was just kind of a, a gathering or a, a, a growing multitude of things that like, finally led to say no mas. Right. Well, absolutely. I mean, the feeling was that the British were imposing upon them. And of course, there were you know, individual incidents like the Boston Massacre that, that angered lots of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, more than anything else, the British just miscalculated and didn't understand the situation. Yeah. The other thing I always, you know, I think very strongly of it, um, there was good reason we also won the Revolutionary War. People say, how could the Americans possibly win the, win the Revolutionary War? Well, as a, a reminder to people today, um, the British were fighting from, from thousands of miles away, and of course, the logistics weren't the same as today as just flying troops in, but the reality was that they never were able to get enough troops in, in the colonies. They didn't have enough troops. They were relying on Russian, excuse me, German mercenaries. And um, Americans were fighting in their land for their own freedoms. Right. Although, Mark, I think it's worth pointing out that we were very close to losing that war. The, uh, I think about crossing the Delaware and, and the state of the, the troops at the time and what they were up against was a remarkable victory. Right, absolutely. It was an absolutely remarkable victory. But just remember one thing, though, that um, every loss that Washington had, probably with the exception maybe of New York, but was tactical. Um, and eventually the British were never able to, except for New York, were never even able to really hold mm-hmm. any territory they gained. And so we, we sort of forget that, that yeah. Yeah, they held New York, but everywhere else they were forced to withdraw from Boston. Um, they... 
Washington fought a brilliant campaign in the fact that he never allowed him his forces to to be defeated in a in a in, a, in an overall sense. They lost some battles, but the British were never able to defeat the Continental Army in total. Yeah, and and that's what led eventually to victory because. In some ways, it was a war of attrition. They gave up in the north, and they went to the south, and they didn't succeed at all in the south. It, it's remarkable, remarkable that we've grown to be the country that we have grown to be. You think about the War of 1812 and actually burning down our capital and the Library of Congress. and uh, It's just amazing that we survived, survived as a young country here. What, what, the War of 1812 was uh, just a few years after 1789. That uh, it's remarkable that we made it this far, and uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, once, oh, of course, once we passed the growing pains, our biggest problem became internal, and that was resolved during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. But um, the reality was that um, it was a young but vibrant country. You know, it was a country built on immigrants, yeah. and every generation had its own immigrants that brought its own vitality and renewal to the American story. And we can look at, you know, generations after generations of immigrants that came and renewed uh, new entrepreneurship, new uh, settling of the West, shall we say. You know, that settled, the settlement of the West was all due to immigrants that were coming from, from Europe during right. the 1840s and 1850s and immediately after the Civil War. So all those things, the, the, dynam, the dynamic nature of the American story has to do with the uh, constant quest for freedom a constant quest uh, for independence and new immigration of people who are coming to seek their fortunes or seek a better life or better freedoms. Manifest destiny, absolutely. Uh, yep. re- remarkable story indeed. By the way, I'm, I'm reading a book by Patrick O'Connor called The Indispensables, and uh, it's just such a terrific historical review of the Marblehead Militia, if you believe it or not, but uh, I just recommend it highly. So, Mark, let's move to some of the things that are happening uh, across the globe, and let's start with Afghanistan. So we pulled out of Bagram Air Base, uh, I guess it was yesterday or the day before, <clears throat> which was the main America's main base in Afghanistan. And um, now we're leaving it to the Afghan people. Um, on one hand, um, it's to their fate. On the other hand, we're seeing some interesting developments in, this, in the fact that uh, they are arming civilians and creating civilian militia to help the army. Most, the overwhelming majority of the Afghans do not want the Taliban to win. Mm-hmm. And um, we, of course, you know, in my, my view, our biggest historic mistake in the last 20 years was our decision to not prosecute the war in Afghanistan to its end and instead invade Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a different story, but it's related because mm-hmm. we didn't defeat the Taliban and they're back. And the Afghani people don't want it. Um, and that's really the the sad story. And, you know, as you know, we've discussed over the last couple of years, I have a really mixed view on the American withdrawal from Afghanistan because mm-hmm. on one hand, how long can we keep on doing it? On the other hand, um, you know, we're leaving behind people who don't want to be dominated by another people. Right. So it, it's a hard, a hard core. I mean, I'll, I'll share a, to, to move to the next topic because it's strongly related. I was on a panel uh, last week with um, a um, per, a person uh, from Iraq, from Iraq, and from Kurdistan. And it was relating to the American airstrike in uh, in Iraq, Syria, the week before, and it was. And then it came to a general discussion, and those people, both from Iraq and and from Kurdistan, which is sort of part of Iraq and that, were lamenting the fact that you know it's the Iranian militias who don't belong there who are taking over the country, and you know, why isn't the United States helping and calling out, please, America, save us, mm-hmm. type situation. And it was like, uh, I'm thinking of those people, and I was thinking of the Afghani people. And, you know, America, for good reason, and on one level of saying, we just can't do it anymore. We've spent 20 years in the Middle East and money and, uh, and of course, souls lost, which is the most important. Um, but on the other hand, we're leaving behind people who relied on us, mm-hmm. and it, it's a hard thing. It's, it's it's not clear, and this goes back to discussions we've had over the years. No one in the United States, whether it's the 
Republicans or Democrats or anyone else, is willing to have a serious discussion of what America's role in the world should be. Yeah. What so, do we want it to be? Do we? So, you know? Mike, I, I come. I, I just think about what we just talked about in the the American Revolution and the fight for independence. And you know, this was a small group of people fighting against unbelievable odds. Uh, and I just wonder, uh, when you think about what we've done, why is it up to us for, to do it for them as well? Well, the problem becomes is because they have, um, and let's talk about uh, Iraq and Kurdistan and the Iranians. The Iranians are a much bigger country, uh, better armed, and with fanatics with religious beliefs. <coughs> and, so, and they're close by. Um, it's not the British from, from, long, from far away. Um, so the question becomes, you know, can it's an outside country that's in some ways invading these countries. Right. Um, so, yes, we, you know, the same way we could say that why didn't France defeat Nazi Germany? But they needed America to come, frankly, yeah. because Nazi Germany was stronger. I guess, Mark, so, I, what I'm suggesting is it starts with a mindset. If it, if it is to be, it's up to me. In other words, you know, this is my problem. It's not America's problem. And I think even that mindset, once you... Ha a group of patriots. Well, except for the fact, once again, the question becomes, you know, you can't ignore it. It doesn't go away. Um, if Nazi Germany had defeated Great Britain, the next step would have been a war with the United States on much worse terms. Right. So that's always the question, right? And, you know, the, uh, Al- the Al-Qaeda who attacked um, the Twin Towers, etc., came from Afghanistan. Um, we're in a world where we can't ignore what takes place halfway around the world. Right. The question is, what can we do? And it's, it's not simple. Um, but we can't just say, well, we'll leave it to them, because it doesn't work that way. Because it, Let's put it this way. Regardless of what America does, there are people who hate America in different parts of the world. Right. And um, we need to be aware of that, and we need to be prepared and be defending against it, and sometimes the best defense is an offense. So, and I'm not making suggestions for any particular policy right now. I'm just saying yeah. it's a very complicated question. It is. It is. It needs to be discussed on a, uh, on a much more general level than it is today. Yeah, on, on a more tactical basis, uh, I've heard some criticism. I'd be interested in your comments about uh, leaving Afghanistan and leaving uh, the air base there. <clears throat> Uh, without any kind of ceremony, just kind of slinking off in the night, as opposed to having some sort of ceremony, turning it over to the Afghan government, uh, you know, in other words, making it a big deal. The problem the big deal is, it's, you know, it, it leaves your troops up for being attacked. Mm-hmm. You know, you need, you, need to, um, you need to balance the ceremonial advantage, so to speak, if there's an advantage, to the fact that, you know, withdrawals are always the most dangerous thing for an army to do. Hmm. And so that's why you often withdraw suddenly, because you want to get your troops out of there really quickly um, before an enemy can respond. So on a tactical level, that's why it was done. Good point. So uh, have we taken any steps to protect those that were protecting us and the translators and the people that were uh, supporting us? Well, we seem, we seem to have decided we're some form or another we're about to evacuate 17,000 of them. I think we'll probably send them temporarily to Guam or some other U.S. territory overseas until we can slowly process all of their applications for asylum. Mm. So I think that's the plan that, that exists right now, and I think we're trying to implement it as of right now. That's good to um, hear. I just hope it's done in time. Um, again, we have that moral responsibility, regardless of what your views about the Afghan war and how long the United States should remain there. We have a moral responsibility to people who help us. And, um, you know, we, we did it ultimately for the Vietnamese, um, not enough in, in problematic ways. Um, we need to make sure we do that. To, you know, leaving everything else aside, we need to maintain the, our moral responsibility to people. When we give people our word, we have to keep it. Absolutely. This just popped on my mind, but I read in the uh, Daily Caller uh, this morning that uh, a million businesses had been attacked by the uh, malware uh, by Russians. They think it's Russians, anyhow. Uh, right. So, so we don't, I don't know if it's a million, but it's a very, very large number at this point. Um, and, um, again, there is this line between, are these a bunch of criminals or this the government of Russia? Um, it's a very problematic world, um, shall we say. Um, the whole issue of ransomware and the whole attacks that are taking place right now. Um, 
we have to assume that there are evil actors out there. And, you know, one of the biggest problems we have is we're, we're running full speed ahead to digitize everything about our lives and everything about the economy. Yeah. But anything that's digital is subject to an attack. Right. And so we have this really difficult challenge of how we do both. We're spending billions and billions and billions of dollars on cybersecurity, um, but it doesn't always work out. And the fact of the matter is, you know, it's one of these wars where <clears throat> one side does something, the other side does something else in response. And um, it's a very, very difficult war to, war to win on a defensive basis. Yeah, so I, it brings to mind the, the 16 sectors that President uh, Biden uh, asked Putin not to attack. Uh, I wonder if these businesses were on that list. Uh, meaning I, that, that not- I, have, <laughs> I have no idea. The reality is that my guess is they're not, because they're not... I don't think they're uh, critical infrastructure issues, to say the least. Yeah. Um, look, this is a really, really big worldwide problem. But um, I'm not sure. I'm not even sure what the solution is. To be quite honest with you, yeah. I know a little bit about the technology, and uh, I do know that basically any defense you have can be overcome in some form or another. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, in any event, but we'll. I'm sure that story will develop, but in the meantime, let's let's uh, move to COVID nineteen and uh, your thoughts on what's happening. We have this problem in the world called the Delta variant, and <clears throat> Delta variant seems to be uh, extremely extremely infectious. It is infecting people who have had who've been vaccinated. It is so far though not causing them serious disease yet. Mm-hmm. We don't really know for sure um, the numbers from Israel, which has a you know, 90% um, of the population, of the adult population vaccinated. 50% of the people who were infected yesterday have been vaccinated. However, the number of people who are um, in serious condition or hospitalized because of COVID has not risen. The problem with this is, is that the uh, hospitalization rates are trailing indicators. In other words, it takes two to three weeks from sure. the time one gets COVID until, and generally speaking, until one needs to be hospitalized or is in serious condition. So the fear is we won't really know until it's, you know, way late. Uh, I mean, the, the laboratory tests show that the vaccine is, is 95% effective against severe disease. In, uh, um, in Israel, do, uh, do you promote uh, therapeutics like uh, hydroxychloroquine or uh, I think... Well, Imer- so far, I mean, the, the, as long as the hospital's not overcome, it's had a fairly, uh, very successful rate of, you know, maintaining patients who are who have COVID and come into the hospital. Um, so, um, I don't think the hydroxide is something that that anyone has found to to have worked overall. There are some a bunch of other therapies at the moment, right? And one of the things is that the Biden administration has committed three billion dollars towards the a cure for COVID, which is different than a vaccine, obviously. Right. Uh, um, but um, we don't know at the moment. I mean, the, the, it's the fact that the <coughs> Delta variant and the problem, of course, is not the Delta, could be the one afterwards. And the problem is until you vaccinate the whole world, you have the option, you know, in, in, in large numbers, you have the possibility of all sorts of variants developing. Because the more copies of the disease that take place, the more variants that can potentially take place. And we're so far away from, from vaccinating the majority of the world. And what's happening now, of course, is areas that were not infected previously, like Vietnam, which had almost no infections, are suddenly the Delta variant is tearing through the country with thousands and thousands of cases. And since none, no one's vaccinated, many of them are becoming serious very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, today is the anniversary of the last case, identified case of SARS in 2003. So uh, it just reminds me that uh, usually these viruses go away. They dissipate and end. Uh, but this looks like it. Well, and the other thing that happens is usually uh, if there's variants, they become weaker rather than stronger. Right. Well, the problem here is because we're talking about such large numbers, um, variants can do anything. They can become weaker. They become larger. But when you have smaller numbers of cases, it's easy for it to suddenly die away because you, always, you suddenly have a, a weaker variant that becomes, uh, well, the weakers never become the dominant strain because, but, but they, they weaken the virus and suddenly the virus disappears. Here, when you have so many um, mil- billions, I mean, millions and millions of people who have infected, um, it can just continues to spread. 
Um, what also seems to be the case with COVID is it does not seem to be seasonal at all. Yeah. The only seasonality is that um, <clears throat> people are outdoors more during the months where the weather is nice to be outdoors, and outdoors you, you know, you're less likely to contract the disease than you are indoors. Right. But other than that, there seems to be no seasonality attached to this, this disease, which is very different than some of the other, other um, pandemics that we've seen in the past. Right. Well, Mark, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Uh, it's, uh, such an interesting discussion about so many important things. Really, again, HistoryCentral.com is the website. I hope our listeners will check it out. It's uh, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, <clears throat> we're going to visit with uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for uh, Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. That's gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. You're hearing that commercial with Gulf Shore Playhouse. Reminds me I was board chairman for 15 years and so proud of what's happening right now in terms of building the new Performing Arts Center in downtown Naples and great productions. I hope you'll visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus for the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. So tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Your listeners can learn a lot more about us at our website, fee.org. We focus on young people of high school and college age, and we inspire and educate them in ideas of individual liberty, private property, free enterprise, small government, and personal character. We do that through not only the website, but also through in-person and online events that go, uh, go on almost every day somewhere in the world, uh, 365 days a year. Yeah, terrific organization, and I've attended national conferences, and uh, it's so exciting to see young people eating up of the ideas of liberty and freedom and responsibility. Uh, and uh, if you have a young person, you're high school or college age, definitely introduce them to the Foundation for Economic Education. Well, Larry, uh, just, I uh, guess, uh, printed or, or published yesterday or 
yes. a, a column uh, by you, Simple or Simplistic, The Wisdom of Calvin Coolidge. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Well, yesterday was the perfect day for it because it was the 4th of July, and Calvin Coolidge, our 30th president, was the only U.S. president who was born on the 4th of July, and one of the presidents who most faithfully uh, upheld the principles uh, on, uh, uh, of the founding of this country. He was born on the 4th of July, 1872, and he was uh, elected vice president on the ticket with Warren Harding in uh, 1920. And when Harding died suddenly in August of uh, uh, 1923, Coolidge ascended to the presidency and uh, served out Harding's term and then ran for re-election and won a term in his own right in 1924. Now, these are the uh, flashy uh, 20s. I forgot what the phrase is for the 20s, but nevertheless, the point being is that uh, boy, he was, uh, you don't hear a lot about him, but he was, in terms of his integrity and his principles, he was quite a president. Yes, he was. Uh, he's certainly one of my favorites because he was a man of personal integrity. He was a man of principle. He believed that the job of the president was to carry out and enforce the Constitution and otherwise leave people alone. So he wasn't one of these, uh, you know, crusaders with an ego who wanted to fundamentally transform everybody else's life. And instead, he um, uh, did his job as he saw it, and he almost always made the right decision. It's interesting to note, Bob, that on fiscal policy, uh, he was terrific. Uh, his presidency is the last time that the federal government was smaller when uh, the president left the White House than it was when he took it over. He restrained spending. He reduced the national debt by two-thirds. He cut tax rates. Um, uh, dramatically, and had a balanced budget every single year. And he also, uh, he referred to it as the people's money, not the government's money. In other words, he rec recognized that every farthing spent would uh, end up uh, coming out of uh, the uh, citizens' pockets, and he wanted to make sure that it was spent wisely. Yeah, that's right, and uh, he had some terrific quotes uh, on, on this very subject. He said, I am for economy. And then to uh, reinforce that, he then said, after that, I'm for more economy. <laughs> yeah. And he went on to say that he favored the policy of economy, or that is saving money, not because I wish to save money, but because I wish to save people. The men and women of this country who toil are the ones who bear the costs of the government. Every dollar that we carelessly waste means that their life will be so much more uh, meager. Every dollar that we prudently save means that their life will be so much the more abundant. So he, he, was, he really treated the people's money with enormous respect. And American people with enormous, enormous respect. He respected the fact that people should live responsibly. It wasn't one of the, the government's job to try and uh, create all kinds of rules and uh, you know, barriers for, for people to make uh, decisions. Yeah, the purpose of the American federal government under our Constitution was not to transform and manipulate other people's lives. It was to guarantee uh, their freedoms, their rights, provide a, a safe environment in which they could do their thing, but otherwise leave them alone. So many uh, presidents of these days think that it's their job to you know, uh, treat people as if they were uh, a, a lump of clay that they get to shape and mold and transform and, and, and push around and so forth. But Coolidge said, look, I, I'm just like you guys. I'm another human being. I don't have any more rights over you than you have over me. Uh, you've trusted me with a job for a temporary period of time, and I'm going to do it and leave you uh, free to do your thing. Uh, remarkable story, and uh, boy, just one that you hope all presidents, all candidates would read his story. All candidates for public office would read his story and his attitudes and his, uh, it, it, it didn't come from weakness, as you pointed out. It came from integrity and character to the decisions that he made. Yes, that's right. And I would urge listeners to get a copy of the new edition of Coolidge's autobiography. Uh, it has him uh, uh, on the cover uh, throwing out a baseball at a baseball game. 
and it's a brand new edition of this uh, great autobiography that he wrote himself some years ago. It also is supplemented by several of his speeches, by a timeline that explains you know what he did and when he did it over the course of his life and presidency, uh, and some commentary from a couple of Coolidge relatives, as well as a fine introduction. Uh, so it, it's just a really uh, nice addition to anyone's library on presidential history. Absolutely. I'll point out also that Parler, uh, not Parler, excuse me, uh, Revolver.News uh, published uh, the 150th, the occasional 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, a speech by Calvin Coolidge. So uh, I point that out. It's a very interesting read as well. It's on uh, today's uh, Revolver.News. Uh, Larry, I always appreciate your commentary in the show. It's a great piece of uh, writing, and I just encourage our listeners not only to get the book, but also go to fee.org, F-E-E.org, to uh, uh, see Larry's piece. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Follow the Leader. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show and the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's written several books. His two latest are uh, Murder Mysteries, Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, happy uh, 4th of Fifth of July holiday, Bob. Happy Fifth of July holiday, indeed. Another day off, costing American taxpayers what about six or eight hundred million dollars? <laughs> so it's only money, right? Uh, you know, I'm retired, so every day is uh, a waste of taxpayer money. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not a way to look at it, Jim. So uh, it's kind of interesting right now, though, that uh, we're watching what's happening. I thought I don't know if you had an opportunity to see uh, President Trump's terrific speech in Sarasota. If not, at least seen clips of it. But uh, he was just on fire. He didn't pull any punches, and he just laid it all out there. It was great. Well, uh, what I find amusing is Trump is a crowd magnet. Oh, you he, know. Uh, 45,000 people showed up. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, he can he can show up at a cornfield and and the corn will be trampled. Uh, 
I get um, <clears throat> press notices all the time from uh, the second gentleman, second Doug Emhoff. You know, he's married to Vice President Kamala Harris and likes second ladies throughout history, the second gentleman, the first second gentleman in U.S. history, is out on the on the trail. It's a campaign trail, really. They're mm-hmm. using him uh, to uh, bolster his wife. And uh, his, he could show up in a cornfield and attract maybe two and a half people. Yeah. President Biden... Where did he go? I forgot. 25 people showed up <laughs> to welcome him. He's the guy that got 81 million votes. Anyhow, I get your point. And uh, if he's trying to promote and uh, increase the uh, the uh, the impression of uh, Kamala Harris, he's got a big job. And you talk about the waste of taxpayer money. I mean, uh, last week they, the government, the administration sent off out to visit the some national parks in Utah. Mm. You know, he was at Bryce Canyon, uh, and he addressed an audience that consisted primarily of park rangers working at Bryce Canyon. And he told them the importance of being vaccinated, number one, and then he gave some spiel about how great national parks are and how he and the vice president, uh, you know, during COVID would go to national parks. You know, uh, complete pap, but... Right. Um, you know the press isn't scrutinizing uh, his travels, and the, and I'm sure they're very expensive. Uh, uh, but he gets glowing press for uh, essentially, you know, flying around the country and tra- to deliver messages to empty rooms. So, you know, Kamala Harris. I mean, apparently the the word is that she is just a tyrant, or her office is run. Uh, with a lot of uh, bullying, bullying, and all kinds of things that are going on. In other words, it's just a very un- unpleasant place to work. Uh, she, she's just a very uh, unpleasant person. I, she, when she laughs, when she makes speeches, she kind, she's condescending. I, I just don't understand how, how they made the choice to have her as the vice president. Yeah, I mean, uh, it really shows that the President Biden's decision-making capabilities are are not the top tier yeah because uh she has a very acerbic personality uh she polls poorly even among democrats uh, you know uh, uh, biden has a, a popularity rating in the 50s uh kamala harris is in the low 40s mm-hmm. uh, the public does not like her at all <clears throat> she uh in her primary her she 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 blew it she couldn't even uh, get votes in her native California. Uh, right. There was staff turmoil. She couldn't run a campaign, let alone the country. And then it, we're reading headlines again that, that her office is in turmoil. Uh, three people have left. More people are going to leave because, as you point out, they have a tyrannical, uh, allegedly tyrannical uh, uh, office manager. She's, I mean, Biden has essentially given the Republicans the 2024 presidential election, assuming the Republicans don't nominate, uh, you know, a total loser. Yeah, it won't happen. So, yeah, but uh, is it a foregone conclusion that Kamala will be the uh, 2024 candidate? Well, there is rumbling. I mean, the Democrats are very dissatisfied with Kamala Harris, and I've been, you know, you've been seeing reports and comments that uh, that, uh, people are urging Biden to... uh, move her out. I don't know how that would be done. Uh, but there are uh, Democrats who are very uncomfortable with her as vice president. I mean, God help us if uh, if Biden had a stroke or, you know, fell down the steps or some unforeseen circumstance. And Cam, this inexperienced, unlikable Vice president is suddenly president, and it, it would really uh, leave us with a uh, vacuum at the top, and and I think it would embolden uh, Russia and China uh, to be more aggressive than they are. I mean, uh, Russia already has launched a huge cyber attack on on uh, the U.S. and, and Europe, uh, testing the, Biden's claim that uh, if Russia 
does this again that we would respond and and, and cripple them. I mean, uh, Putin has called Biden's bluff, and uh, Biden is uh, trying to ignore the fact, hoping that hoping that it will go away. Yeah. So, so we already have a vacuum at the top. Uh, so it brings to mind the uh, list of sixteen sectors that the president asked Putin not to attack. <laughs> <laughs> with cyber warfare, and uh, the, my first question when I saw this story of a million businesses, and I, I, I don't know if they've confirmed that it's actually a million businesses were attacked over the July Fourth weekend, American businesses or worldwide businesses actually. It makes me wonder if they were, if any of these businesses were on those six in those sixteen sectors. I, I suspect they weren't. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that I don't know. I would advise the public to go to your, you know, your listeners to go to their survival closet and make sure they have a lot of board games and candles because we might very well be on the brink of the world's, the first worldwide cyber war. Who knows what would happen? You know, imagine if uh, all your communications go down, your power goes down. I mean, it could happen. Um, and, and here's the thing: the, the whole notion of our infrastructure would include, for example, the power grid, and to go have, spend a half a billion trillion dollars on on improving that and making it safe, so that it, you know, we're, we're literally in terms of cyber warfare, we're at a rock fight, living in a glass house. We're very vulnerable, so it makes a lot of sense to make some improvements. But boy, they're talking about this human infrastructure, and uh, you know. What it amounts to is pay for college, pay for preschool, pay for uh, put everybody on uh, welfare programs. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, on the positive side of the ledger, the Chinese are in a panic about cyber warfare. They're, they're, uh, they have a ride-hailing service. It's listed on the American exchanges. And um, apparently the app, they think the app, has been infected by the uh, U.S. government. So so they're pulling the app, and they're examining the apps of all Chinese companies that are listed on U.S. exchanges. So so I'm reading between the lines, and, and it looks like, you know, the NSA has, has infiltrated uh, China through apps, or at least the Chinese suspect that is the case. So three cheers for our side for, for you know, for, for getting back... Uh, and then a raspberry for getting caught. Yeah, well, the other side of that, though, is the more you peel the onion with what's happening in China, and with China infiltrating our uh, our bureaucracy here in the United States and our businesses, it's just unbelievable uh, the amount of infiltration that's actually occurred. So, you know, these people, I don't hear, they don't need to fight a war. They could just take over the country by, you know, <laughs> the Chinese, the uh, Diane Feinstein's drivers for 20 years as a Chinese communist, it's unbelievable. Yeah, um, I, Malcolm Gladwell has a new book called The Bomber Mafia, and in it he, he talks about during the 30s, American flyers figured out that with a proper bomber, which didn't exist at the time, uh, you could cripple a country by, by taking out 15 key ind- industries at the time. So, I mean, let's fast forward. That's what cyber warfare is about. It's crippling a country by taking out its key industries, and then you don't have to f- fight a, a you know a bloody uh, war because because you know the, the, you've got the country at its uh, at your mercy. Yeah. So so you're you're right. We're totally unprepared for cyber warfare. Yeah. Interesting. Jim McTagg, again, author of two great murder mysteries. I, re- I encourage you to. To read, uh, follow the leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. It'll be, it's just fun to read. And uh, you got something else coming up, Jim? I I do. I'm working on another murder mystery called No Problem, and uh, it's months in the uh, making. I you know I'm, I've done the first draft, and then uh, the uh, rewrites, the endless rewrites begin. I got so, you. Uh, I generally do three rewrites. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. A pleasure, Bob. All right. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Tomorrow, we'll visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo. Uh, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And Linda Harden, my wife, will be joining us as well. She writes Greetings from Paradise. I hope you make it a great holiday. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.